Now, people, don't they sometimes say things that you think, I'm not sure whether I believe that? They make all kinds of claims. They say all kinds of things. I don't know whether at school or at uni, you'll have people around you say, they describe their house. And the way they describe it, you think, hmm, I'm not sure. Maybe. Or perhaps you'll see their social media input and you look at it and go, hmm, life is very rosy and right for you. Okay. They say all kinds of things. But actually what you want is evidence, isn't it, to believe them. I've got some outrageous claims here. Some of, some of you may remember, some of you may not. David Icke, anyone remember David Icke? He was the goalie for Coventry City. And he made the claim saying, I'm the son of God. Oh, I don't think they'd have lost a game if that was true. Politicians. Do we believe politicians? And especially if you think back to Brexit, some of the claims that were made there. Where's the evidence to believe it? We're several years after Brexit, and I still don't think we've got the evidence to believe some of the claims. When I was younger, I was working in this you know, smart townhouse, very nice. I was laying a wooden floor, uh, very interesting customer. And he, uh, I said to him, what did you do? What did you do for a job? He said, oh, I was a drummer for a famous band. I think, well, yeah, he might have been. He didn't look like a drummer. I'd never seen a drum kit in his house. Perhaps he had a really boring job. But actually up the wall were lots of platinum and gold and silver discs signed by David Bowie. With pictures of him and David Bowie, I believe that he was a drummer because there was the evidence to prove it. Um, one of my, my wife's family is involved in finance and politics in London and uh, I was getting to know him when we first got married and I said, who is the most influential person that you have met? And he started with a few names and then he stopped. It was at Christmas and he went and got a card. There's Bill Clinton, there's George Bush, there's Tony Blair. There's a picture of him and Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, okay. You've met some fairly influential people. Um, yeah, it's, it's when people make outrageous claims, we want the evidence. I'm talking to a group of prisoners, and I said, when new prisoners come in, what do you say to them? Do you ask them that? Oh, no, we want to know what they've done. And then another person says, and then we wonder if we believe them. So even in the prison environment, people like to big up what they've done to get status. But other prisoners are going, well, we want evidence, and they're never going to give them evidence because that, that, that puts them down. So when someone comes out with an outrageous claim, we want evidence to prove it. Is it true? Now, Jesus made lots of claims, and some of them, you could say, were fairly outrageous. And he could, because he was the Son of God. And we had an outrageous claim, didn't we, in what we read earlier, which was, Jesus said, I can forgive sins. I can forgive sins. Now, that is an outrageous claim. Let's just look back. Let's just think back about where we were and what was happening. We've got Jesus. Jesus is in a house, isn't he? He's in a house teaching. And this house was packed. So full that you couldn't get near the door. People were wanting to come and hear him teach. His reputation for teaching and healing was spreading. We've only got to go back into Mark and, and verse 22 where we read that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And in our house we've got scribes listening to Jesus' teaching. And we have also in Mark, don't we, in verse 32, at evening when the sun was set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city were gathered together at the door. 
and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. So Jesus is getting a reputation as a healer and as someone who had authority when he was teaching and people were coming to listen to him. Now in this locality, there was a paralysed man, a paralytic man. And I use that word paralysed, I was teaching this story in a Sunday school many years ago and this young man went, paralytic, was he drunk? I went, no, he wasn't drunk, he was paralysed. So that is a bad translation of the word paralytic in these days. And I said, no, he was paralysed. He didn't have a hangover like his parents, that I knew his parents did. And they knew that Jesus could heal him. So four friends picked him up and carried him on his bed and brought him to Jesus. Now we don't know whether this paralysis was caused by an injury, by an accident that had happened. We don't know whether it was something that he had been born with. But we do know there wasn't an NHS. We do know that there wasn't a benefits society. You know, there was no benefits from the government to help him. You know, to support himself, he would have had to rely on friends, on family. They would have taken him to a popular begging space to be able to earn some money. They would have supported him. And, and we sense that actually he did have friends because four of them were willing to pick him up and carry him and take him to Jesus. So despite all the good things that the friends and the family could do for him, they knew that actually to be able to walk would be the best thing that could happen. And suddenly they had someone who would be able to cure him. Can you imagine? They've carried, these four men have carried their friend. It can't have been very easy in the heat to get to this house where Jesus is. And when they get there, they can't even get in the door. Would your heart have sunk? How do you deal with problems? I'd love to have been there. I'd love to know which of the four friends went, forget the door, let's go up on the roof. Hey, let's go up the steps. There have been steps on the outside to get to the roof. Let's climb upstairs. Let's go to the roof. We are going to get our friend to Jesus because Jesus can do something. Look at the faith that they were demonstrating in Jesus. That It went past problems. It went to find Jesus, who they know could do something. Now, in those days, the ceiling wouldn't have been like the ceiling we had. It wouldn't have been hard. It would have been a cross wooden frame covered with leaves and branches um, which were replaced so as they went up they would then move the branches to open up and break through the wooden frame imagine sitting there you're listening to Jesus you're intent on what he's saying and all of us and actually I can say about this because I think in the history a bomb landed close to here in 1945 and all the dust came down yeah so you know the ceiling actually you know, demonstrates here but yeah so imagine sitting there and suddenly you get bits of leaves coming in and bits of bark and the light comes in through the door. Think, what's going on here? What's Jesus going to do? So gradually, the four friends, they lower their friend down in there. Now you sense, don't you, the anticipation as you're sitting there. The friends are looking in. Come on then, Jesus. Please heal him. The scribes and Pharisees, or the scribes, are sitting there going, well, we've got a chance to see a miracle. We like seeing the miracle. So not only do we get the teaching, we get the miracle. So this, has, this sense of anticipation as Jesus looks at the man. But actually Jesus doesn't look at the man first. We read he looks at the four friends. And he sees their faith. 
He sees what they've done to get to him. He sees that actually they really believe that he can do something. And we know, don't we, that Jesus looks for belief before he acts. So Jesus says, he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now that is not what they expected. They didn't expect Jesus to forgive the, the sins of this paralysed man. Now we must remember that the scribes, they were the experts in the Old Testament law. They knew what the law said. They knew that it wasn't possible for a man to forgive anyone's sins. What a shocking thing to say. Only God can forgive sin. And remember, they were right. It is only God who can forgive sin. I want us just to stop at the moment and notice what they didn't say. What they didn't say. They didn't say that, well, this man's not a sinner. This man's not a sinner. This man is a sinner. Our problem is with Jesus, who says he can forgive sin. It's actually quite common in those times to think that if someone had a disability, that actually that was a punishment sent by God for them because of their sin. We read in John about the disciples who asked Jesus about the blind man. Um, and he said, you know, was this man born blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And Jesus went, no. No, it's so that the glory of God may be displayed through him. So actually for a disability... It was expected that God had punished them because of their sin. But that's not the case. I want us to notice and say that they themselves did not get on their high horses and say, these are the scribes, we're not sinners. What are you talking about sin in front of us? We are the experts of the law. And we can reference again to John 8, where the woman was caught in adultery, and we see the Pharisees and the scribes. They bring her to Jesus to test him, say, what shall we do? Obviously thinking back to the Deuteronomy law, that casting stones. Jesus very wisely said, well, you know, one of you that hasn't got any sin, you can cast the first stone. And they all left. They realised that they were sinners. So being called a sinner wasn't the issue here. The issue here was Jesus said he could forgive sins. Well, Jesus, as we know, he knows what we're thinking. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows the things we would like to do. And he knew that with these scribes. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were in their mind going, this isn't possible. This isn't right. Actually, you're blaspheming God because you're saying you can forgive sins. You know, they didn't acknowledge, did they, that Jesus was the Son of God. So Jesus asked them a question. He asked him a question, and we see that, don't we, in verse 9. Where he said, which is easier? What's easier to say to the paralytic, to the paralysed man? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. Now, Dan knows I'm going to say this, so it's not going to be a surprise to him. Now, if I was to say, Dan, I forgive your sins, what outward change would we see in Dan's life? Nothing. As he sits there, there wouldn't be a single change that we would see from that question. But if I was to say, Dan, I know you want to be taller. I want you to grow to seven foot tall, all right? You would see straight away whether I had the power for my words to come into place, into truth, and to be true. 
you'd see whether they had amazing powers or not. Now, we all know that Dan would not grow to seven foot. We all know that Dan's sins aren't forgiven because I've said so, okay? Because we know that I'm just a man. But actually, this is what Jesus does. This is exactly what Jesus does. He uses this disabled man, this paralysed man, disability, to prove, one, that he can forgive sins, and two, that he is the Son of God. And in verse 10, he says that to us, doesn't he? He says, he says to the scribes, so but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Now this is where we see the faith of the paralysed man. He believed what Jesus told him, because what does he do? It says, immediately. He immediately got up, picked up his bed and walked. There was no hesitation. There was no, oh, I just need to stretch my legs out, they're a bit stiff. Do I need to go to the physio and have a month of exercises to rebuild it? No. He got up immediately and walked, bending down first to pick up his bed. Now, I love that bit of detail. He bent down to pick up his bed straight away. How many of you have been on a long car journey? I mean, you get out of the car, you kind of have a bit of a stretch. Or you get out of bed in the morning. You know, you don't run straight away, do you? You kind of got to stretch yourself, get yourself going. But here, look at the healing of Jesus. His muscles are perfectly back to normal. The nerves are where they're meant to be. Whole legs. So he can bend down and pick up his bed and he can carry it back to his house. Those who were there, would probably have known this paralysed man. They'd probably seen him at the begging places. They would have known it wasn't someone just bought in off the streets and you know, a magical act had just happened. I recently went to a, a, a show where there was a, a magician and he was very clever. He distracted you with this hand and he was doing stuff with this hand. There was no magic, it was all about distraction. Well here, it's not about distraction, it's about teaching. It's about teaching these scribes teaching these these experts of the law that actually Jesus could forgive sin by doing things that no other person could do. So we see Jesus demonstrated, don't we, that he had the power not only to make him well physically, but he had the power to heal him spiritually. Now what was their response? What was their response to this? In verse 12 we read it, don't we? So that they were that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Well, of course they didn't. This was Jesus, the Son of God. This is not a normal thing. We never saw anything like this. They were amazed. And that is obviously the right response, isn't it? Amazement of what Jesus had just done. Glorifying God, at the amazing miracle that they had just seen. But just stop and think. It's what they had just seen. They were amazed and glorified because this man had been healed. He picked up his bed and he walked. What would our response have been there? There was no reflection that this was the Son of God. There was no reflection that actually we are sinners. We need forgiveness. We need to come to Jesus. If they were truly glorifying and praising God in the context of him being the Son of God, in the context of him being able to forgive them for their sins, 
you'd have read that they all fell on their knees and come to him and ask for forgiveness. But we don't see that. They are amazed at the miracle. They are not amazed because of Jesus being who he is and his ability, his power, his authority to forgive sin. I wonder how would we have responded if we were in the room? And perhaps more importantly, how do we respond to Jesus' teaching today? We have his word, the Bible. Words were used, weren't they, to cure the paralysed man. Words were used to still the storm. Jesus used many words and achieved many things through words. As he spoke, creation came into being. And we have his words written down for us today. Do we believe what Jesus teaches through his words? Now I have four points of application. Okay, the whole church here will split into two. Some of you will be within two points, and the others will will come under the other two points. So two points for half of the church, two points for the other half. Now for the first section of the church, those people who do not know Jesus as their saviour, those who haven't come to him and ask him for forgiveness. The question is, do you know that you are a sinner? Have you faced the reality that one day God will judge each of us and he will punish those for their sin who haven't come for forgiveness? Romans 3 tells us that we have all sinned. Romans 3 verse 23. It tells us in chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. Now wages are something that we're entitled to. When we work for someone, we expect to be paid. And we're told in God's word that the wages for our sin is death. If you're here this morning and you haven't asked for forgiveness because you don't care, is it because actually you're going to do it later, when you're older, there's always tomorrow. Remember the thief on the cross. He did it just before he died. In some ways, the thief on the cross was in a privileged position because he knew that he was going to die. None of us know when we're going to die. So come to God and ask him to teach you about his sin. Don't rely on good works. Don't rely on coming to chapel all your life, doing the right thing, being a morally upright person. You need to ask Jesus for forgiveness or you will face God's wrath on that judgment day. Again, to those people who haven't asked Jesus for forgiveness, we've had a, a, a great miracle performed for us. Jesus has taught us, we've learned from him today, that he can forgive sins. Jesus wants to forgive sins. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to come to him and ask for forgiveness. Those scribes, they should have been on their knees asking for forgiveness. They knew about God's law. They knew about God's sin. They knew that they were sinners. Yet also they were comfortable in the position they had, in the authority they held, in the people coming to them. They weren't prepared to submit to God. 
We should be excited that God has sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we can be forgiven. The most important thing that we can do in this life. Don't get your diary out and write it for December the 31st. If you're going to put it in the diary, do it for now. Do it for this afternoon. Do it for tonight. Come to God and ask for forgiveness. And we have those promises, don't we? We have those promises. Acts 2 tells us that everyone, it doesn't matter whether they're young, they're old, it doesn't matter whether they're black, they're white, they're rich, they're poor, they're fit and healthy, or they're paralysed. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We have a further encouragement, 1 John 1. There are loads in the Bible, I'm only pulling out two. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's words always come true. Ironic, wasn't it? Pilate asked that question when Jesus was in front of him. What is truth? I'm here. I am truth. I am the way, the truth and the life. We have our fake news in our newspapers, on our internet sites. But in the Bible, there's no fake news. It is truth. So every word that Jesus says will come true. And if he's promised that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we should take him at his word and come to him and ask for forgiveness. Now, for the rest of us in the room that do know Jesus as our saviour, What can we learn from this miracle? We know Jesus is the Son of God. We know that he can forgive our sins. We've taken him at his word and we've come in faith, believing and trusting that when we die, that when we are at the judgment day, Jesus will go, no, I've taken their sins. They're going to heaven. We want to respond, don't we, in praise, in thanksgiving for what he has done for us. We want to be there telling other people about him because he's so important for us in our life. But there are times, aren't there? We have to admit that we know our faith is based on knowledge and I'm so pleased it is. I'm glad it's not based on feelings. But sometimes we have lost that sense of amazement. We've lost that sense of wonder. The the gospel is a very simple message and we understand it and we trust it, and we believe in it, but sometimes it becomes a habit in our lives. David, didn't he, in that confessional psalm, number 51, where he was confessing his sin of adultery, where he was coming to his God, and one of his requests was, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do we remember what it was like when we were first converted? Oh, that it was like that more often. And this is a prayer that we can pray, isn't it? For for us to have our sense of salvation restored, that sense of joy restored in our lives. It may be as Christians that there is a sin in the way, like David had to repent of. Perhaps there's something in our life that is hindering our walk with Christ. And that's a whole subject for another day. But we, we know we need to repent of it, don't we? So that we can have that joy. We can praise, we can thank God. Um, if that is the case. And then finally, an encouragement. An encouragement for us that um, have faith, our believers, know that Jesus makes a difference. This miracle teaches us, doesn't he, that Jesus is not only the Son of God, 
But he responded to the faith of the four friends. When he looked at their faith, he then looked at the paralysed man. That's an encouragement for us, isn't it? As we pray for those we love who do not know, the Lord Jesus is their saviour. As we pray for people in their circumstances, we know that God is a God who hears prayer and answers prayer. We know that God is a God who hears intermediary prayer. After all, Jesus is our great intermediator. And we want to follow him and be like him. So to be praying for other people is following Lord Jesus. Now we started, didn't we, thinking with those outrageous claims and how that we need evidence before we are prepared to believe someone who comes up with what we think is a long, tall story. But we've seen through this miracle that Jesus is the Son of God and we've seen that he has shown us that he has the power to forgive sins by healing the paralysed man. Let's just reflect on that as we pray to him. Once again, Father God, we thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the evidence that we have that whilst he was here on this earth, he did those things that just showed he was the son of God. Whether it was curing this paralysed man and teaching that he could forgive sins. Whether it was calming the winds and the waves and that storm. Whether it was as they just broke bread and fish they managed to feed 5,000 men and women and children. Whether it was the way he spoke and Lazarus came forth out of the tomb, the dead were raised to life. And the ultimate, the pinnacle, was he didn't stay in the grave. He died on the cross, but on that third day, you brought him back to life. As sin had been defeated, death, sin had been dealt with, death had been defeated. And he's now in glory on that throne, guiding us as we live, as we come to him in prayer, as we look for him for help. We pray that our lives will be full of praise to him, thanking him for what he has done. Lord, we pray that we would have real joy in you. We would have real joy in what you've done for us. Lord God, we commit to you any who, who don't realise the effect their sin is having on their lives, who don't realise how important it is for their sin to be dealt with. Lord, we sung that you are holy, 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 but that you are merciful and that you are mighty. Lord, we pray that you would open blind eyes, that you would unstop deaf ears and that you would break hard hearts. We pray that everyone here in this church today would know you as their saviour and on that great judgment day would be there singing your praises as you take them into glory. We ask this so that you may take all the honour and that